Hello and welcome to Making Media Now, the Filmmakers Collaborative Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Azevedo. On this episode, I'm joined by Jonathan Decker and Alan Seawright, the creators of a hugely successful and highly entertaining and insightful YouTube series called Cinema Therapy. Founded in 2020 by its hosts, Jonathan, a marriage and family therapist, and Alan, a filmmaker, the channel has built a following by holding faux therapy sessions for heroes, villains, and on-screen couples, treating movie plots and characters as case studies for mental health topics. Some typical titles, seven movie marriages that are actually healthy, psychology of a hero, Hulk and anger management, and movie couple therapy, Shrek. The hosts and their team shoot the videos in the basement of Alan Seawright's Utah home. By YouTube's count, many episodes have been viewed more than a million times each. Making Media Now is sponsored by Filmmakers Collaborative, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting media makers from across the creative spectrum. From providing fiscal sponsorship to presenting an array of informative and educational programs, Filmmakers Collaborative supports creatives at every step in their journey. To learn more, visit filmmakerscollab.org. Now on to my conversation with Jonathan Decker and Alan Seawright. Hello and welcome to Making Media Now to Jonathan Decker and Alan Seawright. Each of you to introduce yourselves, if you would, uh, tell us where you're talking to us from and just give us a little thumbnail of your backgrounds. Uh, Jonathan, I'll start with you. Speaking to you currently from St. George, Utah, uh, though I live in Missouri, I'm actually on the road. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist with a, with a degree in clinical psychology, bachelor's, master's in family therapy. So I I'd straddle those lines, though I tend to lean more towards healthy relationships. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into where cinema therapy came from, I'm assuming, but uh, I, I'm here because I like to help people, also because I wasn't a good enough actor or director to make it in Alan's field. So, <laughs> What a perfect segue to Alan. <laughs> uh, yeah, I am Alan Seawright. I am a professional filmmaker who needs therapy. Uh <laughs> And yeah, I've uh, been working in the film industry for coming up on 20 years, uh, primarily as a director and uh, often as an editor. I, I guess I'm an Emmy award-winning director, so I yes, you say are that. Uh, director Absolutely. of television, film, and the odd commercial and/or music video. So, well, that's excellent. So, as I mentioned in the uh, introduction, here's the question, Alan. Sorry, sorry, Michael. I just have a, qu a quick question for Alan. Sure. Did I hear you correctly when you said that you're an Emmy-winning filmmaker? Did you say my wife makes me say that, or did I? <laughs> I did not say my wife makes me say that. No. Okay, Jonathan, <laughs> we will revisit that projection a little later on. In <laughs> Stay in your lane, Michael. Stay in your lane. Stay in my lane. Yes, that is modus operandi. Anyway, so as I had mentioned in the uh, introduction, uh, uh, Jonathan and Alan are the driving forces behind a super successful and a really, really engaging and intriguing YouTube series called Cinema Therapy. Uh, mm -hmm. Some of their many uh, video episodes uh, have exceeded one million views, which is which is pretty remarkable when you consider just how packed that YouTube video landscape is. And mm -hmm. and I think that one of the many reasons that that is the case is because, you know, you're you're looking at two uh, sort of phenomenons um, that are so universal film and just sort of that 
again, not staying in my lane, Jonathan, that that massive <laughs> what we all uh, walk around with and call our psychological makeup. So it right. uh, doesn't matter which one of you wants to tell this story. You can share it. But I'm interested in how this idea was birthed and and how you decided upon the approach that you wanted to take. Well, I think we, we've done this, Alan. This is uh, Jonathan talking. This is Jonathan. I, I think the best way is maybe for me to do the first yeah, part. Yeah, you, you lead out and I'll, I'll wrap it up. Okay. We've answered this um, question enough times. We got it down. Okay. <laughs> Alan and I were college roommates. Uh, we uh, did several films together, indie, indie films, passion projects, just, just really for the for the fun and enjoyment of it. Uh, I mean, one of them was meant to launch uh, Alan's career, which it did. Uh, but... You know, I went on to graduate school. We both started families, lived in different states. And so we were very close, but we also, you know, one of those friendships where you don't talk for years. And when, when you do, you, you, you fall right back into where you left off, one of those things. But, you know, yeah. as we approach middle age, we were starting to feel the itch for our glory days and wanted to do a project again together. And we were talking about doing an action film or talking about doing a comedy or this, that, or the other. But, uh, you know, Alan had said to me, that he he had seen he he thought that I was destined for bigger things than just helping people one on one, and he had also expressed a desire to do something that made a difference in people's lives. That he he enjoyed doing music videos, he enjoyed doing commercials, but he wanted to do something that that made a difference. And I was uh, overseas traveling with my family, and just thinking of why is it that I am obsessed with cinema? Why won't this leave me alone? I'm not part of that industry. Why can't I just be a casual moviegoer like somebody else or like, like a lot of other people. And, and my wife says that you have your passions for a reason, right? If you have something that won't let you go and it just stays with you, it's probably because you're meant to do something with that. And I had this idea seeing Alan, uh, he was doing his own YouTube channel, how, how natural he is on camera uh, and how, and how good he is with the production side of it. And knowing from our buddy cop action movie days that we have good on screen chemistry <laughs> and already using cinema in my therapy work with, with clients. Uh, and, and when I taught classes using film clips to, to illustrate an abstract principle and make it concrete, hmm. I was stewing on this and it, then it, it kind of arrived all at once. This idea for a Siskel and Ebert meets Mr. Rogers YouTube channel where the two of us talk about movies and we use movies as a way to share the principles of psychology and family therapy in a way that is engaging and exciting and fun instead of the dry academic boring version that, you know, so, so many scholarly articles contain a wealth of incredible information that will never reach the public because they're boring. It's, <laughs> it's impossible to read. Yeah. And, and, and it's a shame because it's really helpful stuff. And so it was about repackaging that and, starting something with my best friend that we were looking for an opportunity to work together. And so I called him and I'll let Alan pick it up from there. Yeah. He, he called me and literally halfway through the second sentence, I was waiting for him to finish that sentence so I could cut him off because <laughs> I knew exactly what the show was. I knew how we were going to shoot it. I knew how we were going to present it. Uh, I thought it was a great idea. I, I, told him that day i was like this is a million subscriber show on youtube i know it i thought it would take us five years to get there it took us two <laughs> so wow. it went a lot faster than i thought yeah. it would but it, it it was like like lightning from the from the clear blue sky it was it was so immediately obvious to me that it was a great idea and uh, let's face it 
it was something I was really, really excited about doing. I get to talk about my passion and my career with my best friend who got me into it in the first place. Hmm. And then I got out. <laughs> and then he got out and smartly. <laughs> I wasn't smart enough to do that, but that's okay. Uh, and then, you know, we, we get to talk about movies. It helps people. I get to, you know, release my emotions. And then during the edit, I get to exercise my extremely weird, dark humor demons. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> which makes, which makes the videos all that much more entertaining. Uh, so it's, you know, good for you and entertaining, you know, the, the, that double, that double bonus. So I read about you guys about a month ago, uh, there was a piece in the New York times and I was mm -hmm. immediately all over it. I was like, I gotta, I gotta watch these videos. And I went way down the rabbit hole and you know, when I was looking at the variety of uh, films that you've so sort of dissected through the lens of a various, uh, various psychological prisms, uh, you know, I saw Wreck-It Ralph and Finding Nemo and Shawshank Redemption, uh, toxic masculinity vis-a-vis uh, -vis Aragon, um, and uh, there were Marvel, what you call Marvel bromances. So I'm uh -huh. curious. I'm curious about your process in terms of which films do you decide to sort of deconstruct and yeah. how do you arrive at what the um the path is going to be in terms of teasing out the psychological dynamics at play well and for your listeners uh the aragorn video and toxic masculinity we're we're highlighting the aragorn as a counter example that he, yes that i should have pointed that out healthy yeah. masculinity uh i i'll I'll address this briefly, then I'd love to hear what Alan has to say. We we go for um, what we want to watch. <laughs> I mean, look, we're broadly this, yes. <laughs> we're we're looking to to reach and help a lot of people. It's mm -hmm. also a business, you know. We have employees, we have families, and so uh, we we look for films that are that are popular, that are blockbusters, that are things that we would enjoy talking about. And I mean, every once in a while we'll have a topic and then we'll try and match a film to it, but more often we'll have the films and then we'll there. And there's always, if it's a worthwhile film, there's always something to mine there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, you know, strategically speaking, we look at um, very, very granular. We look at uh, what the demographics are of our audience and mm -hmm. what were sort of the, the popular films that are going to either drive a nostalgic click from them on you know, a YouTube thumbnail or there's, it's, it's fairly calculated in the way we approach that. That being said, uh, we've definitely, we try to reserve episodes that are uh, not, not very often, but every now and then just ones for Jonathan and I we're revisiting the eighties classics, you know, from our uh -huh. youth and uh, <laughs> stuff like that. And those generally don't perform super well for us, but for the, for the diehard fans, there's always great, we try to make sure that there's always great content in every episode. Yep. Maybe they won't get as many clicks as some of our, you know, big, huge yeah. smash hit videos, but. Well, and so it's a, it's a balance, right, Alan? It's a balance of our, our passion and strategy and where that meets, because I, I don't know that we've ever done a film that we did not want to do uh, because it would do well. You know, we, we always make sure, cause if, if we're not genuinely excited to talk about it, it's going to come up on screen. Yeah. Uh, and, and so we want, we want our channel by and large as a very positive place compared to 
there, there are a lot of film channels that exist to be comedic and to take the piss out of movies and to say, here's why this is flawed. Here's why this is stupid. Here's why this is terrible filmmaking, blah, blah, blah. And there's a lot of, you know, armchair quarterbacks who are there saying how they would do it differently. Alan could say how he would do it differently because he's actually a director. Sure. Uh, but, but I can also say that no matter how I think I would approach it, I've made bad films. No one ever <laughs> has set out to make a bad movie and uh it happens sometimes so i'm not here to judge filmmakers that yeah. you know don't churn out the movie i would have made with the source material for instance sure right but so, so jonathan we, we you mentioned that you're, you're a marriage and, and and family therapist i'm wondering when you have your therapist hat on and you're just viewing a film and you're not even necessarily viewing a film with an eye toward, oh, this is going to be one we're going to deal with in cinema therapy. Is it an occupational hazard where you're sort of deconstructing the film and and sort of psychoanalyzing the motivations of the character and so forth? No. And, I'll, and the reason why I say no is because I have a I, I have a different process than Alan. Uh, Alan, I know, watches movies with a notebook. Right. And he's taking notes as he go when he's doing it for the show. Right. Mm -hmm. I have Alan likes to talk me up to the fans about this. I have something of a photographic memory, but only for movies. And so I don't need to like I will sit and watch and enjoy it. And then afterwards, I'll do my thinking, uh, thinking and breaking it down and. Yeah. Because he can astonishingly just replay the entire movie in his head. Wow. <laughs> it is. I mean, I, I'm talking it up a little bit, but only a little bit he will randomly come out with lines from a movie that he saw once 12 years ago and he'll just quote <laughs> entire sections of dialogue and i'm flabbergasted Get i that have no idea trivia night it is so deeply frustrating as a filmmaker <laughs> to look at this man with this skill that i do not possess that would be so valuable to me <laughs> You know, and I, for me, it's just like good for trivia night. You're right, Michael. I, I, <laughs> I'm really good at six degrees of Kevin Bacon. I'm, I'm amazing <laughs> at that. That's fantastic. So I mentioned some of the films and then we did touch upon, for instance, um, you know, Marvel bromances and toxic masculinity using Aragon as sort of the antithesis of that. Uh, mm -hmm. Just give our listeners a sense of some of the other thematics and the associated films that uh, that might give them a better idea of the, the whole premise. We've we've gone all across the map. We've examined, you know, narcissistic abuse using the the most recent Invisible Man film. Uh, we have ranked various romances. Our most popular is ranking Disney romances. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants yeah. to see which one's the most healthy and which one's the least healthy. We've looked at all kinds of things. We one of my favorite versions of the show we do is. Uh, something we call villain therapy, where I will pick a villain from a film and have Jonathan diagnose that character and then prescribe treatment. Like how, if that character was in his office, how would he treat this person and try to help right. them get well? Um, and then the flip side of that is a psychology, psychology of a hero, right? Mm -hmm. Because I mean, the, the messaging is not that mental illness leads to villainy. The messaging is that uh, our choices do. But that our characters that we love, whether the heroes or the villains, often all have the same things. Yeah. They all have problems, and and a lot of the the treatment for uh, the heroes is actually 
a lot of the times it's more interesting than the treatment for the villains because a lot of the villains are like well uh narcissist with psychopathic tendencies so yeah. uh <laughs> same treatment as last time yeah, yeah. so alan whereas as with lego maker, batman we had narcissism and that was that was fun to have a hero who was a narcissist and, and this was, was i'm sorry in which film in lego, lego batman land lego batman okay yeah <laughs> So, Alan, I was wondering, as as a filmmaker, do you find yourself drawn to sort of more psychologically complex characters, you know, whether it be the antihero or whether it be the, you know, the character that just can never get out of his or her own way due to their psychological underpinnings um, that that from a from a film viewer's standpoint might be considered too complex or too much, quote unquote, work to wade through the plot? I uh, generally know my my taste actually skews to the very, very commercial. Okay. <laughs> um, but I think there are sometimes hidden, but often not hidden depths to characters. Uh, you know, a, a classic example is um, Luke Skywalker in the original Star Wars trilogy. It's a very simple good versus evil. It's literally a guy in a black hat is the bad guy, right? So <laughs> couldn't couldn't be more simple. But Luke Skywalker has uh, a complex journey of learning and growing and overcoming things. He backslides and then takes steps forward. And this is not even dealing with, you know, the the larger psychological issues that he deals with in the sequel trilogy, right? Um, that being said, I, I do appreciate a good a good complex character. Uh, but I think most people do most of our best film characters have layers of complexity and depth getting back to again to my roots uh john mcclain from die hard mm -hmm. yeah. very complex character with an interesting on again off again semi-combative relationship with his wife fascinating uh ripley from alien and aliens seems to be sort of a tough trucker in space but then we learn in aliens that she has this maternal side and and a very protective you know mama nature bear. about her very yeah. yeah mama bear nature about her that kind of depth is what makes those films stand out and become classics that we refer to over and over again sure sure um you know you had you had mentioned that your tastes tend to run toward the more commercially successful and maybe the more uh the, the films that are more embraced by the by the mainstream this summer was interesting in the sense that you know we've got a film oppenheimer that's closing mm -hmm. into close to a billion dollars box office globally so i think it's safe to say it's a hit even with hollywood accounting and oh, yet sure. we have an enormously complex character have you treated that film quote unquote and uh, do you, do you plan to and what do you what do you think of the opportunities therein uh we haven't yet we still haven't made a decision whether or not we're going to we we do so have talk an to me episode about that process pros and cons sure uh we do have an episode coming on the other the summer's other big giant hit which is significantly sillier but features a likewise very complex character barbie sure mm -hmm. <laughs> uh jonathan thoughts on oppenheimer i mean i'd like to do that episode so <laughs> <laughs> we we've been so busy with this shoot that we haven't really had the conversation so sure. we'll, we'll yeah have, i don't want to we'll put have, you on the spot <laughs> no we'll, we'll have the conversation i like that you've now committed to it though let's just say that no i haven't i haven't i haven't i haven't made any commitment um <laughs> no but the here here's here's the uh how we break it down is is it a fit for what we do yeah is it something that our fan base is going to be interested in is it something that we're going to be interested in is it something that's going to help people 
right? And so Oppenheimer really is a it's a tragic morality tale. And it's about somebody getting lost in their hubris and then facing the consequences and filled with regret later. I, th- I think there's potentially a lot of meat there uh, for for if people can relate to the father of the atomic bomb, which is the big question. That That's my big yeah. question, whether or not we do that episode is, OK, the movie was a hit. Will our fan base relate to Oppenheimer or take interest in in breaking him down? Because it's not. It's not just a psychological breakdown of characters. The purpose of cinema therapy as a YouTube channel is to help people. Mm-hmm. And so e- even our our Twilight episodes where we just roast that franchise, we were very careful and deliberate to make sure that that was just the packaging for healthy dating advice and what healthy relationships look like and yes. use Twilight as a guide for what not to do. And so while the, the entertainment component of cinema therapy is very important uh, alan likes to say it's the spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down yeah we we want every episode to lift and inspire and give insight that helps people to have emotionally healthier and mentally healthier and relationally healthier lives and really that's going to be what whether or not we do oppenheimer comes down to is can we find the angle where oh here's here's the episode that's going to help people yeah, how do we make the hubris of unparalleled genius relatable to average person? Because <laughs> that's really the thing we're examining with Oppenheimer. Right, right, right. So tell me a little bit about that fan base that that you know you're interested in entertaining and helping. What have you come to learn about them? What type of engagement have you had with them? Whether it's you know through uh, the comment section of your YouTube videos, or you know may- maybe even some uh, direct email correspondence, or I don't know if there's been ever any instance where you're running into them in person. The f- very first thing we learned that was a really harsh reality wake-up call for us was we assumed hey you know we're two relatively inoffensive looking gentlemen and we're going to be sharing our feelings and stuff this will be this will be fun there will be some fun comments and what we very rapidly learned is uh we are dads and we will not be the object of online thirst what a blow uh, it was it was uh, a significant reevaluation <laughs> who and yeah. what i am there's a whole we're, episode we're right both, there <laughs> you know we're both we're both middle-aged and we're both uh faithful husbands and so there's i don't there's nothing untoward there but it's a, it's an ego boost oh, there's an ego women, boost for sure yeah but there's it's, there's ego boost if, if younger people find you attractive or whatever and instead like, like alan they said, do not we got right out of the gate was they do not they see us as their dads <laughs> um but what you know, our our favorite thing, honestly, and we read the comments and we engage with people uh, online. But we go to conventions, and we just did one this last week in Salt Lake, uh, a few weeks before that in Atlanta, <clears throat> where we we meet people face to face, and we do we do meet and greets with our fans, um, who it's it, wild to us that they stand in line to meet us. For it's wild to our kids too. Our kids can't figure it out. <laughs> wow. Um, and they, but just to to meet the people and hear how we've what we've offered has affected their lives I and mean, that was my biggest concern when we started was i i didn't want to just do something that was entertaining and i didn't want to do pop psychology mm-hmm. right? i wanted to do real psychology through the lens of pop culture which is different than pop psychology i, I wanted it to actually be you no know, these are the the real evidence-based 
practices and principles that help people in their daily lives, just packaged in a way that makes it more engaging and fun. Um, and to meet the people face to face, you know, to hear that we, people have said that we saved their life uh, or that we, we've met several people who found the strength to leave an abusive relationship uh, or parents who are closer to their children and vice versa, because they bond over our show and then they talk about what they learned and then they put it into practice. You know, that that's the most gratifying thing. And as Alan rightly says to them, when they say things like, Oh, you're so nice for standing for three hours on your feet to meet all of us. And Alan says, this fuels us, fuels us for the year. And it does. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, Jonathan, you mentioned uh, at the top of our conversation about, you know, uh, both you and Alan had real interest in film and uh, film characters and filmmaking. Yeah. Alan went down that path. You took another path, but that passion stayed with you. I'm always really curious uh, when I talk to creative folks and people for whom films are more than just sort of disposable experiences, like yeah. the character stays with them, the motivation of the character stays with them. I'm curious, and this is a question for both of you, if you can think back to your formative years, what were those films that sort of made you think of film uh, as, again, something more than just a transactional, disposable entertainment experience? Yeah, let's, let's start with Alan on that one. I, uh, this is going to sound weird. Uh, I had night terrors as a child. Okay. Um, and one of my very formative experiences was my dad taking me to see Ghostbusters in the movie theater <laughs> when I was three years old. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> and I had nightmares for years. Like, I woke up every night in a cold sweat, terrified for years. So it's, it's not so much for me. And then I had other experiences. I, uh, you know, I had that one friend in the neighborhood whose parents didn't care. So we watched aliens when yeah. we were seven, I think yeah, yeah. way too young, yeah. way too God young. Bless to those parents. Yeah. Uh, but for me, it was, it was literally the, the movies wouldn't leave me alone. So yeah. it was, it was, less a conscious decision that I love this and I want to carry it with me. It was my subconscious would never let me get away from it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And Jonathan, how about you? Um, I think in a lot of ways, movies taught me about emotion, right? Um, I, I just think of growing up, I, there's definitely a huge, the entertainment component was enormous, but, um, I think of the movie soundtracks that I bought and I listened to over and over just because of the, the way they made me feel. Yeah. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, uh, the film, but also John Williams' soundtrack. Uh, all of the stuff in the in the at the end there with the temple that they're in and every it's just it just it would make me feel a yearning for connection, right? The way Indiana's dad connected. Uh Alan knows this. My my most formative cinematic inspiration as a child was Superman, uh, Christopher Reeve Superman. Hmm. Um, you know, something that really stuck with me and has still to today. You know, today there's a lot of edgy uh, anti heroes, which I enjoy. They're cool, but uh, there's something so incredible about a character who has the power to be anything, to do anything, and he chooses to use it just to help people. 
Right, so, right. In that, your, uh, I'm curious in your in your um, education uh, in 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 the field of psychology, um, did the study of archetypes figure largely into how you uh, engage with cinema therapy? And and I guess that would be along the lines of a maybe a Jungian path. Uh, that is a very smart, intelligent question, and I don't have a smart, intelligent answer for it. Not necessary. Uh, I, Make something up. No, <laughs> no. I, I, I studied Jung and I studied archetypes, but here, here's the thing: the uh, I, I became a family therapist after dabbling in psychology because everyone's interconnected, right? Uh, and what one person chooses, says, does affects another person and vice versa. And so I'm less, I'm personally less, less influenced by your great psychological thinkers and influencers and more your modern Brene Browns, right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and the Gottmans and John and Julie Gottman, these, these are the people that I, I more gravitate towards. And when we do episodes that are more psychologically based, uh, I tend to have to do more research, which is fine because school taught me how to do it. I'm, I'm still doing, I'm still doing research. It never ends, but uh, mm -hmm. now I get to do it for fun. Uh, but I, I lean more towards the relationship aspect of things. And I'm also curious, and maybe Alan, you can give me some insight into this. The the actual um, the production process. I, I love the way you feel like your sometimes your your program is a wonderful combination of Siskel and Ebert and and was it mystery uh, mystery science mystery Rogers, science theater. theater. <laughs> oh yeah, that yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, and it's just so cool. And I wonder, <laughs> does that all come to you in post production, or are you thinking that before you go in? And then also the what's the deal with the licensing of clips does that get like uh super expensive or are there fair use rules around that there's uh I, I am not a lawyer and that is not my training i could probably at this point if there was a bar exam only about fair use i could probably pass it um <laughs> yeah the uh, so to answer the first part of your question first, th Mystery Science Theater is a huge influence for both Jonathan and I. We both grew up on that show and and absolutely love it. Um, the the sort of uh, nearly psychotic amount of cutaways and just inserts of different things and, and all of that. <laughs> Some of that is pre-planned. Most of it comes in post. Uh, we actually have five editors who work with us now, oh, wow. and a lot of that comes from them. Uh, okay. We we tend to approach as a, very much as a team um, in that regard, because, you know, Jonathan and I have the cutaways and the, the cultural context that we have, mm -hmm. which works for, you know, late 30s early 40s folks but uh you know we get a lot of spongebob jokes in there that jonathan and i would not be able to make but we have younger <laughs> editors who grew up on spongebob and yeah. we have younger viewers who totally understand what's going on even though jonathan and i are completely in the dark yeah our um, editors who are in their 20s a lot of them uh do a lot to make the show feel young and fresh <laughs> yes yeah, and we smart. are not a young nor you know, fresh it's, it's quick and it's smart Yes. And that's, we, we got very, very lucky with our, our post-production team, uh, and our, our production team as well. So yeah, it's the, some of that is pre-planned, um, in our, in our prep process. Uh, some of it happens in post people are often shocked because it feels like, Hey, it's 
two guys watching movies in their basement, which is what the show is supposed to feel like. But we generally are in prep on any given episode for one to two months and wow. we're in post on it for uh, four to six weeks. Wow. Um, we're doing multiple episodes concurrently though. That's why that works. But yeah, okay. it does. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a lot. Basement it's a, are you actually shooting in? That's my basement. It's okay. just upstairs from where I'm sitting right now. <laughs> okay. We have a, a multi-level, very seventies house. Yeah. So, um, you're in the lower basement now and it's in the I'm upper in, basement. <laughs> I'm in sub basement C as we like. To yeah. Call it. Uh, that sounds very Utah for some reason. I, I, I'm picturing some type of a nuclear silo right next to you. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. No, the, in the backyard is where the, the <laughs> prepper, that's where you the keep prepper the hatches. <laughs> yeah. And all well, of the, all of the dried food. This is, this has really been a great conversation. I've been talking with Jonathan Decker and with Alan Seawright. They are the masterminds behind a great YouTube series called Cinema Therapy. And get yourself over to YouTube, check it out, go down that rabbit hole, make sure you've cleared out a few hours because you're going to want to stay there for a while. And uh, Jonathan, you promised me the classic therapist sign off. So you're getting the last word. Yeah, Michael, I'm sorry, but this is all the time we have. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you so much. This has really been fun. <laughs> Thanks, thank Michael. You. This has been great. <laughs>